Hey, thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. But I do want to start off by telling you that Peter Pan lived rent-free in my head for like 35 years. Like, he just rattled around in my brain for 35 years. I, uh, I mean, I saw the movie as a kid. I saw the play, right? I saw a musical with, like, some lady that was dressed as Peter Pan, like, flying on, like, a cable from one end to the... I mean, I've seen it all. I didn't know that there was a book, so I haven't read it. But, like, Peter Pan was a part of me. I remember, I remember, like, even... You know the Peter Pan, like, his main thing, right? His main thing was, I never want never to grow up. They call it the Peter Pan syndrome. There's actually research and data and scientists have looked at the Peter Pan syndrome. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I even got my kids Peter Pan toys, perpetuating the pain forever and ever, so that way I don't just live with it. They have to live with it, too. The problem for me is with that idea of I don't want to grow up. It wasn't so much that I didn't want to grow up. I was, I was really worried about tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm, I still sometimes worry about tomorrow, even at my age, even knowing what I know of Scripture, even knowing what I know about God's faithfulness. Sometimes I worry about tomorrow. I get anxious about it. Two weeks ago, I, I even preached very briefly, so you can find this online, I said, quote, far too often we care about ourselves more than we care about others. Like when we get anxious, it's because we're caring about ourselves more than we care about others. Well, what if I'm anxious about other people? If you drill down to the root of it, it's really because you're anxious about yourself in relation to that person. So flip with me into Matthew chapter 6. I have a feeling that some of us, we care more often about ourselves than we do about others. And you may be saying, well, that's not me. I don't care about myself more than others. Okay, maybe you simply just, you just don't want to grow up. Well, I do want to grow up, James. I really want to grow up. Maybe at the root of it, we're anxious about tomorrow and what tomorrow holds. My friend, Zach, Pastor Zach Kilpatrick, he says this. He said, remaining children for all of your life is unnatural. Mary and I, we went, goodness, a year ago or so to a service of his back at my, my old church. We went to like 20, almost 20 years ago. And we went and we're listening to him and it was just an off the cuff remark. And I'm like, that's good. And I wrote it down. Remaining children the rest of your life is unnatural because I used to struggle with that. I wanted to, I wanted to be Peter Pan. The researchers show, and this was a study that was done in 2019, it was published in 2021 because there was a gap between 2019 and 2021 for whatever reason. And they said this about the Peter Pan syndrome, there are three main categories that exist, like if someone has this syndrome, it's a legit thing by the way. Number one, they want an escape from responsibility. Number two, they have a problem with a power perception. Number three, they are the never growing child. It's like the kid that has the failure to launch, Matthew McConaughey, I just can't get out. They can't face emotions, they can't face responsibilities, and at the root of it all, is that they just worry about tomorrow. And I say they, meaning we. We worry about tomorrow way more than we should. 
I want to give you an idea if you were to write down one thing today. It's this, that living demands our focus on Christ today and placing tomorrow in His hands. Living demands our focus on Christ today and places our tomorrow in His hands. We'll start at the end with Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. He says, Therefore, don't worry about what? Tomorrow. He's like, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, we've already looked at the word a couple weeks back about the word for worry. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it means to care for. Like, therefore, don't care for about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. The idea is don't care more about yourself than other people in regards to tomorrow. You, be, you get self-centered, you get self-focused, and then when you get self-centered and self-focused, you tailspin. Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that? Like when something's coming up tomorrow, I got, this, I got this meeting tomorrow, I got this phone call tomorrow, I have to send off this letter tomorrow, I have this email I have to worry about tomorrow. What if so-and-so texts me tomorrow? I'm just going to silence my phone now. Like you can do that, by the way. You, you can block, you can mute people for a day. But when we do that, like we start to tailspin into that anxious thought time every single time. So Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Now, the word for tomorrow, this is going to shock you. I looked it up in the Greek. It means the next day. That's mind-blowing. You're like, James, you're a wordsmith. Like, that's all you got for tomorrow. Yes, that's all I got for tomorrow. It's simple. However, I'm a word frequency guy. I looked it up. Tomorrow is used, this word, it's used... 55 times in Scripture. Think about all the words in Scripture. That's not a lot. How many of us now we're like, oh, I feel bad about worrying about tomorrow. Because it's only used 55 times in the Greek and then in the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's only used 55 times. Now, that's still, I mean, it's, it's not a lot. Especially for a for noun that we use every day. Ten of those times, it's used in the book of Exodus. Now, that's quite remarkable. You know why? Because God was showing not what we should do tomorrow, but every time he was showing what he would do tomorrow. He would tell Moses. He's like, hey, Moses, go tell Pharaoh. Just call him Pharaoh. I'm just kidding. I don't know what he called him. But he's like, hey, go tell Pharaoh. I'm going to do this tomorrow. <sighs> okay, God. And so he'd go up to him 10 different times. There's how many plagues? 10 plagues. And every time Moses would go up to him, hey, Pharaoh, I just, <laughs> we have history. I just need to tell you, God's going to do something tomorrow. And then like he'd go back to what he was doing. Then all of a sudden God would show up and he would do what he said he was going to do. Over and over and over again, God reminds us that he's like, I've got tomorrow handled. You don't have to worry about it. I've got tomorrow handled. So you can rest in today. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he thought Jesus at one point was crazy. He's like, oh, this is my crazy brother Jesus. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14 talks about knowing, I mean, imagine this, he knows Jesus' thoughts on the word tomorrow. I mean, it's used three times in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look at this word tomorrow in just a moment. It's very similar to Luke chapter 12. If you're like, I want a cross-reference. We know that Jesus says in Luke 13, that he's the Lord of tomorrow. He doesn't literally say it in those words, but he talks about tomorrow and that he has all power over tomorrow. But James, in his book, chapter 4, 
he reiterates, he says, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Like he knows what his brother, his half-brother Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, he knew what Jesus thought about tomorrow. So we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Let me write this down. Some of you need to memorize this. I'm going to write it even bigger. Our life, he says, is just a mist. It's just a vapor. Now we studied, I said, I, God, I know that I've preached on our life being a mist and vapor. And I did. When we studied Ecclesiastes in our very first message in our Ecclesiastes series, so you're like, oh, I want to learn a little bit more about our life being just a vapor. You can look up on our podcast, Ecclesiastes 1. But our life is just a mist or a vapor. Now, that is something that you can see. It is literally something you can see, but you can't touch it. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. The idea is that it points, represents to something else. And we know our lives are to point to God. He is everlasting. He is eternal. Because I know I sure am not. Living demands our focus on Christ today and placing tomorrow in His hands. Now, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, and this is the last verse that we'll study in this passage. It starts with, therefore. And I haven't said this in a while, and it is cliche, but I need to tell you again now. Whenever you're in Scripture and you see the word therefore, you need to see what it is there for. And so you look through all of the rest of this passage, and we start in chapter 6, verse 25, several verses later. And guess what it starts out with? <laughs> therefore. Jesus is giving us a, uh, bookends of the word therefore. Again, when you see the word therefore, what do you do? You see what it's there for. All right, so what is, Jesus is telling us something based on something else. Well, let's take a look at this. Matthew chapter 5, he begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. Now, I went to the Mount of Beatitudes when I went to Israel. And it was interesting to see like there was a banana grove i don't know if it was there years ago but it was there when i went there across the little lake that they had a lot of researchers think that jesus actually was probably on the lake in a boat and he was speaking and his sound was carrying over the water and up the hill to all the people that were gathered that's why he didn't need microphones back then I mean, now he's God and he could have boomed his voice if he wanted to, but that would have shook the skin off my bones. But instead, like Jesus, however he's speaking, he's speaking to the people and he gives the greatest sermon ever. And he's like, if you want to get close to God, he was very, very practical. If you want to get close to God, this is what you do. And he starts off, if you look at, if you flip a page or two over, he starts off with the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes to, to be. These are the attitudes we should have. And then he, get, he says, you're salt and light. Let's talk about the law. Let's talk about murder. He says, it, he says it's kind of like playing a board game, you know? And he says, go back three spaces, and you're like, Ugh. And so you go back three spaces, and you like, go back three more spaces. And so like, that's why we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 6. So Jesus is sharing all this stuff to his disciples. And he's like, I want to just, tell you, if I could boil it down to everything, love God and love people. Over and over and over and over again, he says it in here. He's like, if you want to get closer to God, these are the attitudes to have. If you want to get closer to God, you need to be salt and you need to be light. 
If you want to get closer to God, well, you've heard it said this way, but I tell you this. He says that six different times in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. If you want to get closer to God, he gives us a little passage about giving money. If you want to get closer to God, he's like, I want to teach you how to talk to God. He says, the disciples in another passage in Luke, when, where, where Luke records this, so he teaches us to pray. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. He doesn't say pray this every time. Now, we are in Catholic country, and I go, I have lots of friends that are Catholics, a lot of people that I go to go see every day, every week. And they recite this. This is how I pray. I'm like, no, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he says, pray like this, our Father. You always start off with God. Where are you? What's your domain? You, you are in heaven. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. Like He's like, this is how you pray. This is the way you should pray. This is the formula. But this isn't what you do every time. It's not magical. It's not an incantation because then you'd be a cult. And we'll write that down. He's like, no, instead, I want you to pray like this. I want you to talk to God. And then he talks to us about fasting and he talks to us about stuff. You see there in God, with God in possessions, chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. The whole point is love God and love people. But I want to tell you that stuff and people, they can stress this out. Am I right? If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you have stuff, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, man. Like right now, it is a million degrees outside in Mississippi, and I'm getting stressed out about my AC. I'm like, it is, it is old. It is an old AC. And I'm hoping that it can just hold on just a little bit longer. And so my daughter, yet my oldest one, the other day, she's like, why do you keep all the window blinds closed? Honey, we're keeping the sun out. We're keeping the sun out until October. We're trying to, we're trying to survive here. I stress out about stuff, and I stress out about people. And Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount, which is about stuff and it's about people. He's like, if you want to get close to God, this is what you do. This is how you do it. So we get to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, he says, don't worry about your life. This, this word here for worry, and I know we talked about it a few weeks ago in another passage in Philippians, but this word worry is used six different times in this passage. Six times. That's quite remarkable. The whole point of this passage really is about worry and how we struggle with tomorrow, how we struggle with anxiety, how we struggle with whatever it is that keeps our eyes and our focus off of God. That's what this passage is about. Just don't worry. And he's not talking, he says, don't worry about your life. Now, I need everyone to hear me clearly. This is not talking about being lazy. Jesus is not saying you can be lazy now. And he's not saying that we can be undisciplined with our lives. He's just saying, I don't want you to be worried, be worried about your life. Now, the word for life there, we're understanding it based on what he says in context later on. He's talking about the totality of your life, the totality of your day, everything that makes you up. Not just your food, not just your clothes, not just what you eat and drink, but everything. Everything, who you talk to, where you go, when you wake up, when you lie down, everything. He's like, don't worry about the totality of your living, the totality of today. My buddy Blake, he reminded me of this. When I think about food, right? He says, what will you eat? I like to eat. My sister-in-law even asked me today, she's like, uh, Did, do, you, do you want breakfast? I'm like, yeah, I like to eat every day. I try to eat six meals a day. <laughs> you laugh, but that I do, I do. I like to eat 
what will you eat? My buddy Blake said, he's like, I need you to remember, James, that food is just fuel for your body. Now, you know why that's important to me? It's because I don't like vegetables. People don't know this, but I don't like vegetables. I tolerate them. You know why? Like, I went to Show Enough Barbecue in Picayune on Friday. I had a couple people, a couple patients cancel on me. They're doing okay. They're like, we don't need you today. I'm like, fine. Get me some barbecue. And I went there, not because their barbecue's better, although I enjoy it. I went there because they have the best greens that I can buy on the on-road side or at a window. The best greens. Do I like greens? No. But my body needs greens because I'm getting older. Last night, we went and ate hibachi. I almost got a plate of vegetables. Not because I like vegetables, but because I need vegetables. They're just fuel. Your body needs fuel. And I was so grateful when Blake shared that with me, it gave me freedom to eat all this other garbage that I don't want to eat, but because my body needs it because it's fuel. And I learned that not eating six cookies a week, the big crumble cookies that are 800 calories a piece, I learned not eating six of those a week, like, and eating more vegetables actually helps me out in all sorts of ways. Same thing with your clothes. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He's like, don't worry about any of that stuff. He's like, wear something. James, what about your Sunday best? I tried to look up scriptures on, on wearing your Sunday best. Where in the Bible does it talk about? Now, I'm from Biloxi, and I grew up in a lot of Southern Baptist churches, a lot of Southern churches, and we were always told to wear your Sunday best. And guess what? On Easter, you get a, you get a brand new shirt. Or if you're a lady, you get a brand new dress. That's what you do. I didn't find that in the Bible. I looked up a couple verses. Paul talks about it a couple times. One, in, one time in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and another time in Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. He's talking about what we should wear. You know what he says explicitly that we should wear to church? When we're around other people, you know what we should wear? In 1 Timothy 2, he says that we should wear our good works. And in Colossians chapter 3, he says that we should wear compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. In other words, Paul says when you are gathering to honor Christ, the things that you should wear are the virtues of Christ. That's what you should wear. I've been to some places where they wear suits. I've worked in some places where we wear suits. I've been to some places with like a lot of millionaires and, and they would only let certain people on the stage that looked like a million bucks. And scripture doesn't say you should look like a million bucks. It says that your heart should look like a million bucks because of the virtues of Christ that you wear with you. So Jesus says, don't worry about your body or what you're going to wear. He says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? We wear Christ. Verse 26. He says, consider the birds of the sky. So I want to give you an idea. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? I love this because God handles the details of those dependent on Him. I went to a lady's house Friday. It was Friday, yeah, she's a Friday lady. And I went to her house, and I'm going in, and the way I walk in, there's a, there's a little small, she's like in a mother-in-law apartment, so I went through a small hallway, 
and her great grandkids were there and there was a little box with hay and smell. There's a little bird in it. I'm like, oh cute, you have a little bird. Oh, the mom pushed the bird out the nest and we think uh, we're just trying to help the bird live. And that bird was like just opening its mouth just a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, that thing's a goner. I can't say that though. So I go in and I talk to the, I talk to the, talk to the patient. I said, hey, so I saw the bird out there. She's like, yeah, there was another bird in there with it too and it died already. The mom, I think, was just tired and hey, get out of the house. That has nothing to do with y'all. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking. However, I will say this. Even the birds who can't really fend for themselves, like especially baby birds, God takes care of them. He absolutely takes care of those that are dependent on Him. And Jesus says, think about those birds. They don't go to Walmart. I would like this, this, and this. They don't sow. They don't reap. They're not like doggone squirrels that destroy your house and, and, and hide nuts and they can't find them ever again. So they make more. I'm okay. They're birds. They have bird brains for a reason. And yet Jesus says God takes care of them. And then he says, how much more are you worth than they are? I'm like, that is amazing. I want to ask you a question. Think about this. What did you do yesterday? And think about what you did yesterday. Oh, I did a lot of stuff. Or I did nothing. I don't know. Think about what you did yesterday, just for a moment. What did God do for you yesterday? When you think about what you did yesterday, and then you compare it with what God did for you yesterday, you begin to see that He does a way lot more for you than you realize. And it helps us to depend on Him a little bit more. Because, you know, maybe I can focus on Him. Maybe I can trust Him. Maybe I can give Him my worries for tomorrow. Because He's going to take care of me today. Because I have proof that he, he helped me to live yesterday. So I looked up word frequency again, the word yesterday. You know how many times that's used in scripture? Do you think it's more than 55 or less than 55? You're like, this is a trick question, isn't it? Maybe. Nine times. Nine times. I would have given you bonus points if y'all had said it like Matthew McConaughey. Wow. No, no, Owen Wilson. <laughs> Owen Wilson. Nine times in the entire Bible. Yesterday doesn't matter. Doesn't. James, I was a loser yesterday. Who cares? Today's a new day. James, yesterday I yelled at someone. Okay, fix it. Move on. I'm preaching to myself now. James, I, I didn't trust in Christ yesterday. Okay, trust in Christ today and ask for forgiveness for yesterday. Move forward. How many times do we get crippled by yesterday's worries and woes? If I survived yesterday, if you survived yesterday, congratulations, Peter Pan, it's time to move on to today. So, verse 27, Jesus says a rhetorical question. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? You, I know this with my kids. You waste more time worrying about your problems than you are fixing them. My kids will do this all the time. And then I think, oh, that is me. I do that all the time. I worry about my problems. I spend more mental energy and more anxiety on whatever this problem is 
and I forget, God's got it under control. Verse 28. So why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers. Now, I love this here. So first Jesus says, we're going to talk about bird brains for a moment. But then he says, I want to talk to you about something that they do think that there's not a nervous system, but there's some sort of thought or thinking in, in, in flowers. But they can't move. And they can't water themselves. They can't do anything except for be there. Jesus says, observe the wildflowers of the field. They don't labor. Of course they don't. They don't spin thread. Of course they can't. Verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. And they say that Solomon was one of the sharpest dressed people in all of human history. We literally have nothing to do. If you are a flower, you have nothing to do with your life. God demonstrates his capability to care for even the mundane stuff of your life by caring for the wildflowers. James, so you're saying like, I can trust God with the mundane stuff? Yeah, absolutely. The Peter Pan syndrome, I believe is real. Even, the, even Peter Pan, did you know that it was written by a guy, James uh, Barry? He impersonated his brother after his brother died at the age of 13. Like he impersonated his brother's life because he missed his brother so much. That's why he didn't want to grow up. That's why he wrote Peter Pan. He didn't want any, any responsibilities. He couldn't grow up, he was stunted. Now they, there's a lot of research now that if you experience trauma as a kid or as a teen, like you carry that with you further on into adulthood. But back then we didn't know it, the 1800s. And here it is as his brother dies and he's like, I'm just gonna be my brother. I'm not gonna grow up, I'm never gonna grow up. And that's where Peter Pan came from. The problem with you and the problem with me may not be our escape from our responsibility or us not ever wanting to grow up. Our problem may be linked to worrying about tomorrow. Yet when we trust God with tomorrow, He delivers every time. If that's how God, verse 30, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't He do much more for you, you of little faith? Our worry about tomorrow actually reveals our lack of trust in God. I'm going to say it again. Our worry about tomorrow reveals our lack of trust in God. I didn't realize I don't trust you, God, with my tomorrow. Bill Mounts, he wrote my, my Greek textbook. He wrote a lot of, he, he was a fantastic Greek scholar. He says, worry is practical atheism. Anyway, living demands our focus on Christ today and placing our tomorrow in his hands. Verses 31 and 32. So don't worry, Jesus says, saying, well, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles, people that are not like God, people do not, that do not love God, they eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Don't worry. So Jesus is about to give us some application. You ready? Here's the application. Here's the how-to. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, righteousness is a churchy word, which means living the right kind of way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his living the right kind of way. Not yours. His living the right kind of way. 
The kingdom of God is it's a trustworthy compass for all we do in life. Perrin and, and Land said that in 2019. It's a compass. The kingdom of God. Jesus came. Like, so John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he comes onto the planet. And he comes onto the scene and all of a sudden he says, hey, prepare the way of the Lord. He says, repent for the kingdom of, of, of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus, the very first thing that's recorded that he said publicly, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like there, so when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, we're talking about this, this way of rule, this way of living. It's a whole new system than what we're used to down here. Because down here, it's dog eat dog, it's fend for yourself. I know both animal references, but Jesus is like, hey, if I can take care of animals, I can totally take care of you. I've got a whole different way of living. It's a whole different focus. It's a whole different foundation for you. The kingdom, in short, is God's rule, God's way, or God's way of ruling. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's like, seek first God's rule, God's way of ruling, God's way of living. Then it sounds nebulous. There's a ton of books written about the kingdom of God. But the application is this, seek God's way of ruling. Give me some practicality. How do I do that? It's multi-layer. Number one, you seek God's way by knowing God's way. Scripture is very clear. It just sounds nebulous right here. I understand. It's very clear. When someone hits you on one side of the cheek, what do you do? I get them back. No, you don't. You turn the other cheek. Don't be Southern. I have this, I have this nurse of ours that's, uh, she's, she's from Chalmette, and they're different down there. They will cut you. They will cut you. Don't do that. No, she won't. Like, we've talked about it before, and she's okay. Jesus says, when someone hits you on the cheek, he's like, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and two for, the, for a tooth. He's like, no, 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 no. I tell you, turn the other cheek and let him get you again. When someone hates you, what do we do? He's like, don't hate him back. Pray for him. He's like, I, I tell you to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's a whole other way of living. Seek God's way by knowing God's way, and it's in, in Scripture. In well, where do I start? I'll tell you, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. Well, where does that start? Matthew chapter 5, in the red letters, and it goes through Matthew, the end of Matthew chapter 7, when the red letters stop. Number two, live what you read. So you seek God's way by knowing God's way, which is in Scripture. And number two, you live God's way. Well, God's way. Live what you read. James, I don't know if I can live what I read. When do I do that? Every time you watch TikTok, I know this. I learned at 41 years old that it's better to put bacon in a big pot. There's a guy on TikTok and he tells you like, are you telling me I can just, I'm just 40 years old and I'm just learning this now? I'm like, yes, that is so cool. I've learned so many things. How many of y'all learned stuff on social media? You've learned how to do things differently. I have. And there it is. I'm like, wow, the bacon doesn't splatter on me. It's easier to put the stuff in. This is fantastic. Why didn't I know this sooner? We live the stuff that we learn. And we have a lot of educators in here. And I know that the, the students are living some of what they learn from you. Why can we not live what we read? So what about tomorrow, James? Verse 34, and we'll close. Therefore, what do we do? Don't worry about tomorrow. Everybody say, don't. There we go. Don't worry about tomorrow. So the word, the word for yesterday, no, the word for tomorrow is used 
55 times. The word for yesterday is used nine times. I looked up today. I looked up today. How many times is that used in the Bible? The word for today is used over 300 times. The Bible is very clear that we are to focus on today. Focus on Christ today. This helps us with the Peter Pan syndrome. It helps us with worry. It helps us with anxiety. It helps us with this whole idea of failure to launch. It helps us, well, what do I do? It helps us when we're bored. What do we do? We focus on Jesus Christ today. Focusing on Christ today helps us change. John Maxwell said this. That's when I knew I was ready to preach this because I've been dealing with this for years, by the way. John Maxwell wrote, he says, if you resist change, you are trading your potential to grow for your comfort. No change means no growth. Peter, and Peter Pan, I'll close with this quote. He says to Wendy, he says, come with me and you'll never have to worry about adult things. That makes sense, thinking about his brother that died, right? Come with me and you'll never have to worry about adult things. Wendy says, never is an awfully long time. The time to trust Christ is today. And then we'll place our tomorrow in his hands. Jesus, thank you for today. I'm grateful that you were with us yesterday, that you were the same yesterday, today, and forever, that Jesus, you are unchanging. And Jesus, that I can trust you with my tomorrow because you've already taken care of my yesterday and today. May we trust you in that. May we live in that. Jesus, may we learn to love you the way you've designed us to. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.